Come follow me. I'll show you the side of the world, the places that you've never seen. Come follow me. Come follow me. I'll show you the side of yourself, the person that. Welcome to so many bits. I am your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from his palatial apartment in Miamisburg, Ohio, is Brandon Shockney. Brandon, how are you? Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm all right, thanks. Uh, we're doing a remote recording, Brandon. This is this is different. I know. This is a change, but you know what? I feel good about it. I believe it was uh, Sheryl Crow that taught me, a change, a change will do you good. So I, I've often been led the right path by miss crow in the past so wiser words have never been spoken thank you so much and uh just today for our interview i talked with spencer ham spencer is a game director and editorial lead at jackbox games he was the design lead on both survive the internet and split the room but he's done work on pretty much all the jackbox party pack titles so we had a pretty interesting conversation about his time with the company before we get to that though brandon you and I have to do some screen watching. Oh boy, let's do it. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Yeah, so we are talking this week about Robotech, the Macross saga. Oh boy, we sure are. Let me tell you, I didn't know what I was in for. Episodes 24 and 25. So we've got Showdown and Wedding Bells are the titles of these two episodes because it's a plot that spans, you know, it's it's a it's an involved plot. Two whole episodes. You can't fit that much drama into one 24-minute episode. You just can't. So up till now, Brandon, had you heard of Robotech before? I have heard of Robotech. I know it's uh, kind of a, a classic you know, legendary anime, um, you know, in the same vein of things like the original Gundam and whatnot. So I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Uh, So this was my first experience in the Robotech universe. So for those uh, who, like Brandon, were unfamiliar, Robotech is a show that originally aired in Japan is actually three separate anime. Uh, the one that we watched was called just uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. And then when it was brought over to America, it was made into one series that kind of Frankensteined all three together into one plot that in theory covered them all. And it was called Robotech. Macross is the first like season of the show. And then the, the other two anime are like season two and season three. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um does it are, does all the different sagas feature the same cast, core cast, or does that change? So there is some creative editing to try and make a through line between the three shows because, like, in theory, they have nothing in common. They're not about the same source material. So when season two begins, the lead character is the daughter of a couple that got married in the original uh, Macross series, and then... season three is even more stretched because they have no connection to the original cast and it's kind of have to allude to them being in the in the shadows in the periphery of the uh of the series whatever narrative tricks you got to do to make it all connected i understand that (laughs) Uh, so brandon yeah you know when, when we came into this just to give you a little bit of additional background 
Uh, this whole plot that we're looking at today focuses on two characters, Max and Miria. And in an earlier episode, Max and Miria had had a, uh, a standoff, a, a fight in their two robot suits. Uh, this is a show about, you know, giant robots and all that. And they kind of had a draw and Miria was really unhappy about that losing to max yes um she is she the one with the green hair she's the one with the green hair yeah and and we we meet her in this episode and uh she's hanging out in an arcade right yes that is correct now bill uh you might need to clarify for me here now she is not a human right is she she is not a human although her genetic makeup is like part of the like ongoing mystery of the show it, it might not be obvious, but because of the, what you've been able to see, but the, the alien race, the Zentradi, are actually giants. Like, they're 20 times as tall as a human. Oh, no, I did not pick up that at all. Uh, so, so Muria had been, uh, she'd gone, undergone some procedure to have herself shrunk down to the size of a regular human, and that's why she's able to, like, kind of integrate into that world. Ah, of course. Yes. So she's at this she's at this arcade where she's playing a game which is pretty much just Robotech the game, right? It's just Yeah. You just fight in like a virtual version of the robot that you actually pilot, which I can't imagine that being fun for someone who is a Robotech pilot, but maybe. Yeah, it seems like when you have the real thing having this like very rudimentary version of that would lose some of its appeal, but for the other characters, uh, Max and Rick, Max especially, is very into this game. He's like, oh, Rick, you got you to gotta get out there. You got to come and go to this arcade and play the game with me. Yeah, I, I have blue hair and glasses, and I'm a little intense. Um, <laughs> come on out. <laughs> and it's also weird because it's like some kind of gambling arcade because like when they play, they win actual money, it looks like, for playing the games. Max, right? He is very persistent when he sees uh, this this woman who is playing uh, the game very very well, right? And he realizes he just has to um, play against her. Absolutely, yeah. And so they they sit down together and they play the game, and it's like interspersed with shots of their original fight. And as they play, Max is kind of like too, I guess, absorbed. Uh, Miria is like, oh, this is the guy I fought earlier in the series yeah right (laughs) and he wants to take her out on a date after winning uh, against her in the in the game which i was confused about how someone wins uh because the actual game just looked like animation from the show that was like put into a game form um but he wants to take her out on a date and like she's like not interested, but he's like, "Come on, do it!" Uh, to the point where she's like, "Fine, geez, okay, whatever." Um, yeah, classic romance. Yeah. And so then they they meet uh, the next. I, I guess I thought they said morning, but it looks like it's at nighttime when they meet. And, and you know, it's a very A to B plot here. So Max wins the video game, and then Miria tries to kill him on the date. She tries to kill him. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they have a very intense dagger fight. <laughs> um, it was like these pilots are, are fighting with, or is there only one dagger? No, I think there's two, right? They each have a dagger. 
Yeah, Max has to like steal one from Miria to even the odds, and then they have like a dagger fight. Of course, during their dagger fight, they realize that they're actually in love. <laughs> um, and uh, not only are they actually in love, but they realize that they want to get married immediately. And then like the follow-up scene, Rick, Rick Hunter, the other like pilot guy, who is kind of like the audience surrogate the whole way through, is like appropriately like, are you nuts? Yeah, yeah don't married? do this. <laughs> But they do it anyway. They they get married. <laughs> uh, like they have the the, mar- the wedding ceremony immediately. And then their honeymoon is basically the ship gets attacked and they have to go out and, and pilot a jet fighter against the aliens. Yes. And that is where the two-parter kind of ends, right? They go out and fight um, in their, their fighters. They're like mobile suits. And uh, that's then it's like a cliffhanger. This was a little uncommon for that era, but it's a it's an ongoing story. So yeah, that that's only one chapter in the ongoing Macross saga. So yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, watched any um, beyond this point, but uh, a lot of drama packed into that uh, collective forty five minutes. Now, uh, Brandon, I have a trivia question for you. So the pilot, Max, he was voiced by an actor who would later go on to have a prominent role in a very well-known video game franchise. Do you know who he played? Oh, wow. I didn't um, recognize the voice. Let me think. A well-known video game franchise. Can I get a hint? I'll help you out. The, The voice actor's name is Cam Clark. Cam Clark. And it's older, you said. He appeared in multiple games in the series. His his largest appearance, his largest role was in the first game in the series, which was on the PlayStation 1. Uh, Metal Gear Solid? Yes. Do you know what role he played? Um, does he play um, the person that goes, Snake! 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 Here's another hint. Les Enfants Terribles! Oh. I don't know. I only played... This is uh, sacrilege, but I've only played the second Metal Gear, and I didn't finish it. Oh, dear. Oh, gosh. Okay. He he played Liquid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid series. So that makes sense because he's very he's not very prominent in Metal Gear Solid 2. He's mostly in 1 and then a little bit in, in, like, a little bit in 2 and a little bit in 4. And he is the brother of the protagonist, Solid Snake. Um, okay. Well, good to know. That's some fun trivia. I did not pick up on that uh but yeah uh that does i guess bring us to our rating for this episode brandon so you know as always we rate these scenes on three different categories accuracy condescension and entertainment and just like with any good video game you rate it on a scale of six to ten so let's start with accuracy accuracy in this case uh six being completely inaccurate to video games ten being extremely accurate to video games how would you rate this i say this is a seven i don't think it's very accurate to video games i couldn't really tell what was going on and uh it's it's all like tech that's made up you know and stuff so i i I wouldn't say it's too accurate i would go with a six and I, i i'm gonna be even harsher on it that it's just like pretty much divorced from reality i mean it's it gets the point across like they're in an arcade. But other than that, I think it's 
got nothing else going for it in terms of like what actual video game play would be like. And then there's uh, condescension. If you found this to not be condescending at all to video games, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely condescending, give it a 10. You know what? I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say um, a six on this. I don't think it was condescending. I think the, the show didn't really care if you knew what was going on or not or how the game worked at all. Um, so because they didn't concern themselves or try to over-explain um, video games or uh, make, you know, make uh, any sort of commentary on it, I th- I'd give it a six. All right, I'll go with a a seven. They kind of like make it seem like a juvenile thing to do. Like Rick, the the main character, is like, eh, I don't know if I'm into this. And like, I think Max is Max kind of comes off as a nerd, and like that re- ends up reflecting on the video games as well. So I can't go the full six. I, I would go with a seven though. Otherwise, it's kind of unremarked on. And then uh, lastly, entertainment six. If you found this completely unentertaining. 10 if you found it very entertaining. Uh, I'd give it about uh, a 7.5. I'll give it middle of the road here. Um, maybe because, again, I, I had a hard time kind of figuring out how the game actually worked um, to really, like, enjoy it. But some of the visuals were neat. Um, and uh, so I give it I give it merit on, on that. All right, I'm going to give it an 8. I, I'm giving it one point because for like one second, it looks like they are making a reference to Lupin the Third with one of the games that's being played. Oh, and I then, saw that. Uh, yeah, from the movie, it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like the, the, the guy in the car, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm going to give it one point because, you know, this is a, an older show. So it was trying to do this stuff before pretty much anyone else was. So I'll give it a little graded on the curve a little bit there for that so then uh that moves us on to our next segment uh actually no we can't go on to the interview we have to handle one other thing okay oh i know what it is you know what this is yeah as a reminder folks this is going to be a random amount of time determined by rolling three d20s on the topic of my choosing so the topic for this week will be my uh recent participation in grand prix milwaukee uh so one second while i roll these d20s I have 32 seconds to talk about this. Bill, that's almost half the time. That's the luck of the draw, though. That, that's how magic is played, and that's how we do the magic minute here. The gods of magic. I guess give me a little extra time on the front and then a little less time on the back okay. to account for the, the call. Okay, sounds good. Are you ready, Bill? I'm ready. And go. Grand Prix Milwaukee unfortunately ended for me with a disappointing record of 2-3, and three, really 1-3 because I had a round 1 bye. I thought I had a good strategy coming into the tournament with a blue-red Drake's deck splashing white for Deafening Clarion, but I ended up playing against almost no aggro decks at all, and in fact it seemed like Pretty much everyone around me was playing Drakes or playing Golgari or playing Jeskai. Uh, even if I had done a little bit better early on in the event, I was going to have, I think, trouble ongoing because there were... And that's the- time. All right. Well, that's that's all the time we got. So, uh, you know, uh, if you want to find out more, too bad. But that's not what we do on this <laughs> podcast. Suck it up. Yeah, seriously. Now we're going to head off to our interview, my interview with Spencer Ham over at Jackbox Games. So long. Mm-hmm. 
we're back. Uh, today I'm at the Palatial Jackbox offices at an undisclosed location in Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. Talking with Spencer Ham, who is an editorial lead at Jackbox Games, but also the director of Survive the Internet and Split the Room. Thanks for, so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, I just wanted to talk with you a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at Jackbox and Jackbox as a whole. I think it would be good to start off with maybe a little bit of your comedic background, because Chicago is you know, very well known for its history and comedy. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the reason I moved here back in 2006. Uh, yeah, I uh, loved... Uh, I would come up here during like spring break in college while everyone else was going down to like, Mexico. I would come up to Chicago in March... And uh, just see improv sets. So I saw, like, a set at I.O. and made me fall in love. So I moved here partly because of that, for sure. So I right away started taking classes at I.O. And uh, got on a team. Uh, and for about 10 years I was there uh, playing and later coaching uh, a couple teams. Um, and then I would do some things at Second City. I ended up teaching at Second City uh, a writing class there for like about a year and a half um and i did a couple shows at the annoyance so i kind of did the old mostly io but some things at second city and some things at the annoyance were you on sears tower yes i was so i saw sears tower and winter formal before i even moved to uh, chicago okay. back in like would have been like 2011 yep yeah, and uh, yeah, that was like my first sampling. Of... <laughs> I hope it was a good show. Was it a good show? I can't remember. Yeah, it probably was an okay show. Uh, no, we had some really good ones. That was a really good team. I love Sears Tower, um, but I think I don't know. I just did it for so long that you just certainly sometimes you just kind of hit the wall with it. But I love that team. That was one of my favorite uh, teams to be on. And how did you transition then from uh, performing at these different theaters to working at uh, Jellyvision slash Jackbox? Yeah, so it was 2000, so I moved to 2006, uh, it was 2010 that I saw a job posting for a uh, freelance writer for Jellyvision at the time, Jellyvision Games, uh, and it was to write for You Don't Know Jack, which is, you know, um, the title that's been around the company for a very long time, and I saw that, and at the time I was working uh, a job I hated, uh, I was, uh, working at, uh, a, uh, graduate school and I was in the bursar's office and I was responsible for calling students and telling them that they had to pay their, uh, tuition fees. Uh, so while I was doing that, I saw that there was a job posting there. So I, I applied and, um, lucky enough to, to get through and cause there was very stiff competition. I remember going, uh, like the second round of the job interview, I went in, and at the time, I looked around, and I was just like, all these, like, veteran improvisers. <laughs> and I walked in, and I immediately was like, well, I don't have a chance. Uh, you're all the people that I respect. and uh, But I beat them. That's the important thing. I beat them all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I started I started as a contract writer in 2010 for, yeah, the THQ-published version of You Don't Know Jack, which came out in 2011. Uh, and then that contract eventually ended, uh, but then I was called back to come, uh, work on, we went to like mobile gaming. So I think it was Facebook version of, you know, Jack I was called in back to work on that. Um, and yeah, I've, I've had uh, a lot, a lot of starts and stops with the company. So I, I came back as a freelancer for that, for the Facebook version of Jack and that, uh, segued into full-time. And then 
but unfortunately, uh, Facebook gaming did not work out for us. Uh, so I was uh, let go, but then I came back for like the party packs uh, and as a contractor again. And now I've been full time for like the last two or three years. So, yeah. So all in all, about seven years total, I think, I've been with the company. Can you talk a little bit about how the party packs are formed? Like, because originally, you know, you're making you don't know Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Fibbage is a separate entry. Uh, there was like uh, Lyswater and even Drawful, I think, got an independent release. But mm-hmm. how did the party pack start? So the party pack was kind of like our, uh, the first party pack was really kind of a, a last-ditch effort, really, to kind of find the company to find its footing. So I helped uh, write for party pack one, but when it was released, I wasn't with the company. It was just kind of a bare, it was bare bones here. Like it was, I think, down to like the last... 10 or 12 people. Um, so when that was released, uh, uh, the idea was just for them to be like, well, let's, we've got all these good ideas. We already have, uh, we can kind of refit a couple of them. Cause like Life Spotter was a, already a mobile game, but they're like, oh, we can put that actually into the packs. That gives us one. And then they just kind of started building upon them to be like, well, five games, that's quite a value for $25. Um, Cause we were in this, uh, market before where it was like we can't rely on just like 99 cent you know sales we just can't do it uh so i think it was just the value for the buck uh, we'll put a bunch in a bundle um so that's how it originally started and then that you know was successful it saved the company essentially and so therefore it was just like every year it was just like well cool i think we found our model uh so we're just going to try to kind of repeat the success that we had before um, so there, there's a lot of thought into like what makes a pack. Um, Aller Levan, our uh, chief creative officer, like kind of lays it out. Like these are the areas that we always kind of want to hit in a pack. Like we're always going to have like a trivia based game. We're going to have a word based humor game. Uh, we're going to have a drawing game. Those are like the like true fundamentals. And then like after that, it could be you know like a banter game is important uh, and like social you know deduction type game. Um, or it's truly that fifth game could just be a true, like, uh, wild card. Like we have Zeeple Dome this year, which is like first time ever trying to tackle like a physics based game. Um, but that's, that's kind of how we mold it. We always have one game in the pack. That's like a sequel, um, like a Fibbage or a Quetflash, uh, or you don't know Jack, you know, something that really kind of gives the pack a lot of weight, you know, people are going to. Uh, be excited about and then around that we try to put it around new titles that fit one of those kind of categories so you are you are the director on uh, survive the internet Mm -hmm. and uh, split the room yep now do you personally like propose these ideas in like uh, like a room setting or do do you get the ideas presented to you and it's like spencer we want you to head up survive the internet yeah no so so in my uh, every situation is different in terms of who directs what uh but my case um it just so happens that the two titles that I've directed are also the games that I pitched. Uh, but that said, that's not always the case for every game. Uh, for example, Warren Arnold directed Patently Stupid, but it was Dave Innes, who was the art lead, who pitched it. So it's not always your idea is also what you direct. It just so happens that those are my uh, situations. But everyone, during like the concepting phase, everyone can pitch a game here. Um, like... Yeah, literally, like anyone, we don't have, we don't, we don't close the door to anyone's ideas. Um, but then, who directs it is determined by what we call the elders. So, Mike, uh, Mike Builder, our CEO, uh, Evan Jacover, who is the CTO, and Allard Levan, who's the CCO, 
and then Andy Pullen, who's uh, director of like editorial and audio. So with those games, what, I guess, inspired you to come up with uh, Survive the Internet and uh, Split the Room? So yeah, so Survive the Internet um, was just playing around with the notion of like, uh, what's a word-based game? So we have Quiplash, right? Which is one of our, those are more popular uh, games. And um, it, what's challenging about trying to come up with like another humor-based game is how do we do something when it's, uh, Quiplash is really just, it's called the say anything, you know, party game. So it's really, you know, literally like just put in whatever joke you want, right? So I was trying to give uh, a kind of a humor-based game that had more framework around it. Um, and then I challenged myself with just like, what can I do with something that plays with something out of context? So it was the idea of, well, what if you just wrote something, you know, you responded to something, but then that was taken out of context through various frameworks. So in the paper prototype, I actually did like cut out, like <laughs> it took for, it took so many hours, but I cut out like actual, like, you know, YouTube, you know, like, um, uh, UI and all that, just to give the feel of what the game would look like. Is that common before coding starts to like build a physical prototype? Yeah, nothing starts digital. Um, everything starts as paper. Um, yeah, so it's because really the idea is if if the idea is good, it should be able to work on paper, and it just, just it avoids people going down in a route that's not worth the time and energy uh it's better to start kind of from the ground up so that's why uh, we always kind of always do paper prototypes first okay so survive was like trying to add a twist to like another right so, so yeah so you get a question just like in a, in a questions like hey what do you think of like cheetos right and be like oh i think they're great and so that i think they're great is sent to another player and then you have like the framework of like this would be a terrible like comment to have to like a youtube title called this and then so you have to fill in that title to make it make that person look just really i mean you can play however you want i mean uh but the idea is just to make the person look silly so and with split the room there is a deductive element to that trying to like get into the head of the people in the room and there is it seems like it's a little bit of a hybrid in that there is a humor element and come up with like the wacky premise yeah yeah so so um whereas like survive the internet is i would check in the like the humor based like category right um I mean, all our games are really under the humor umbrella, but like, like joke input games, right? That is what Survive the Internet is in the same kind of category as Quiplash. Um, I put Split the Room more of like in the banter section of ours. Um, so yes, uh, it is the players. Not their main objective is not necessarily but the funniest thing they can think of. It's something that they think can you know kind of divide the room's response because that is the. The challenge. It's obviously very easy to write <laughs> something that everyone will say yes or everyone will say no to. Uh, but there's some good common ground where, I mean, we played it a ton in the office and it always gets laughs just because the situations themselves, um, from an editorial standpoint, I made the, I made a concerted effort to try to make those scenarios just kind of inherently kind of funny so that you're not having to do the heavy lifting to make it funny. It's just the situation itself is absurd. Now, is there any, maybe not responsibility, but effort taken to kind of prime the humor that a player will use? Uh, like, I, I think I, I see that to an extent in, like, the, the samples given at the start of the game uh -huh. to kind of keep it as, like, a fun but not aggressive type of humor. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of thought put into, uh, so we do a lot of fill-in-the-blank games, right? There's a lot of thought put into... 
what what is fun for the player to put in here um so we tend to every you know director kind of works their own way but for me when i do like a fill in the blank game I'm, i make it a very concerted effort to okay what are some fun kind of open-ended responses that could be put in here that aren't that is still kind of guided a little bit so it's not just uh basically setting you up to name an article of clothing or like an animal you know what i mean because that that doesn't get quite fun but when you open someone up to like put in like a phrase uh or like a name it can become a lot more fun that way for the player they can add a little bit more humor you're thinking about it from a player's perspective what can a player put in that they will feel good about themselves because it's kind of funny going back to when you were uh, working on facebook games uh, is there is this aspect of connectivity to the Jackbox Party Packs. I believe starting with Party Pack 2 uh, with Quiplash, that had like a streaming mode in mm-hmm. it. And then since then, the connectivity has gone up and up and up. But, uh, at what point with Jackbox did, did the company realize or decide that this was a the direction they wanted to go in? Well, kind of early on, uh, really. I mean, we've been very fortunate that, like, the rise of these kind of party packs have coincided with the rise of, like, Twitch uh, and, like, other streaming sites, you know, like uh, Mixer, Beam. Like, uh, those are very, very helpful for us. Uh, And we didn't, you know, to be honest, we didn't quite see it, you know, years beforehand. Like, this is what... (laughs) And then streamers will play it. Uh, But it's... It's been such a boon for us. So we're, we make a very concerted effort to um, keep streamers in mind, but it's definitely a balance for the company because we know at the heart of our games, it's people playing with family and friends in a room, especially like during the holidays. Like our peak times, as you imagine, is Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, and New Year's, those are, those are huge. Uh, so we know at the, at, the peak, you know, at the heart, it's really just people playing with family and friends. Uh, but definitely streamers help a lot. So it's really just that balance of what what features can we give streamers while also not like kind of alienating just people playing in a room. Is it kind of flattering to see like the PlayLink line of games that Sony has developed where uh-huh. they have games that you play on your phone as well? With yeah. That, like their but you need an app. You need an app for every single game. It's true. It's, yeah. That's a big drawback. And that honestly like is such a huge like core to us is that we don't want any friction, any friction for a player to join. So like we would never make a game with an app. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say never ever, but like I'm pretty <laughs> confident we would never because that's really what like our entire model is based off of is that because the moment you say that, hey, you want to come over and play this game? Like, cool. Oh, okay, so you got to download this app. Like right away, personally, I am. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that because it's just like, I don't want to put another thing on my phone. Um so yeah, seeing seeing them release that, I mean they and they aggressively uh, marketed that. I'm not sure how well it did, but um, you can find it for like five bucks. I yeah, guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, I think it just shows though that like having less friction is is always better. So, is there an encouraged or uh, like is there a target length you're going for for these games? Uh, length in terms of like just average gameplay or yeah like how long does it take to finish uh, like a full like two rounds or however many yes 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 i think our sweet spot is about 15 to 20 minutes um that's what we kind of strive for uh party pack four is different it went a little bit long most games were a bit longer than that um uh they were most games there were about 30 minutes but on average we're about 15 to 20 for most of our games 
when you're designing the games, who uh, conceives the aesthetic that comes with the games? Like Split the Room, yeah, it, uh, you know, has that kind of Rod Sterling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that you, or does that come from like a collaborative effort? It's a collaborative effort for sure. Um, we when a game is greenlit, um, like it segues into pre-production, and it's really that pre-production time that you're you're thinking about like big elements of the game, and the really important one is like the wrapper of it. Um, so. Uh, Owen Watson, who is the art lead uh, on Split the Room, we would just have kind of like one-on-ones and just chat and try to figure it out. And then, um, and then yeah, and then it's green. Like we we then after pre-production ends, kind of like show everything to like the kind of the higher-ups and creative. And then they kind of greenlit that. So it's like, cool, that's the direction to go. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a collaborative effort. Um some games are easier than others to try to figure out what that aesthetic is. Like, Survive the Internet was like, well, <laughs> it's uh, it's an internet-based game, uh, so we know, the, like, where we are. Uh, but Split the Room was so just kind of, like, open-ended. It was just really could be anywhere. Um, but we ended up finding, like, you know, fitting in a cool... Um, first time doing a black-and-white uh, game, and also first time having an on-screen host. Um, so that was like different things, but I think really sticks out. And when you have like 30 titles, it's kind of neat to have something that kind of stands out that looks different than anything else. So that's always our goal. Try to find something that sticks out. Is the entire company, uh, like familiar with the improv ethos because oh, yeah. it seems to shine through in all these games. Yeah. A bunch of folks, um, have, uh, connection to like the improv scene. So like Arnie Niekamp, uh, did a lot of stuff at I.O. He did, like, World News Tonight. Um, and he was on a bunch of teams. Um, and then there... Uh, who else is here right now? I'm trying to think. So me and... Oh, we have a couple... So we have a couple... We uh, hired uh, some contract writers during this year who are all great. Um, CJ Tour, who uh, does, like, Kitsch Cocktails, and he's the Second City uh, understudy. Um, uh, Claire McFadden, who does a lot of stuff at I.O. and Second City... And then Brooke Bright, who's who's uh, really uh, just done everything. She's amazing. She's uh, uh, also just like a working actress. So, um, so yeah, uh, all all three writers that we end up hiring have that background. Similar to similar to a lot of folks. And Tim Sniffen, who's done a lot of work for the company, who has I'll just say has the most credits. He's done. He did VO <laughs> for Split the Room. He wrote for Split the Room. Uh, he did the animations, the segue number segues for uh, you don't know Jack. Um, he he's just he's the best. But uh, yeah, he's also with the with some of the games. If there is not uh, an undo option, I think like it's been added in some later games, but in the, like earlier games, there wasn't. I, like I'm thinking of like Drawful. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that a design limitation or an intentional? Hey, there's no failure here. Decision. Oh, uh, what about having not having the eraser or yeah no eraser oh so that so so yeah that was definitely 100% a design choice right uh the game's called drawful um the game's not called like how well can you draw something uh so yeah like not having that uh and and Allard was very adamant about like we'll never put an eraser in drawful uh, just because that's kind of the fun of it, right? Like, if you mess up, then... I mean, the, the point of the game is, like, nobody can really nail these these prompts, right? So uh, why give yourself a chance to try to get a little bit better at it? You know, <laughs> just have fun with it. Everyone's failing, have fun, yeah. 
uh, a similar thing with like a trivia murder party where mm-hmm. uh, everyone can lose the game. Yes, and, and they have okay. <laughs> in the first in the first round. Well, we've played it before in front of audiences in the first round, and it's like a question that nobody got right, and then <laughs> it's like like a like a, a mini game where everyone just dies, and it's like, well, that can happen. But it's the beauty of that game because it's like you don't you know <laughs> really there's no guarantee in anything. Um, but yeah, that that was. I would say um, a design choice, but also not like something that perhaps team would try to like uh, figure out a better way so that not necessarily the first question everyone dies. Um, but some of those are limitations. Like we, I think content management wise couldn't necessarily put like a super easy, like kind of like a wants to be a millionaire type of setup. So like the first question would be easy to kind of be randomized, the questions so if you got a really hard question out right off the gate, then you know that'll happen. You may not be uh, have the the act hard numbers on this, but I'm curious: uh, do the number of TKO T-shirt sales <laughs> yeah. are they below your expectations? Do they meet your expectations? Way beyond. Way beyond. Way 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 beyond. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, I mean, we had no idea uh, that so many people would buy them. We did it, and it was actually just a last-minute thing. Uh, the idea, of, well, we can set up a store, um, and I think there was maybe, if memory serves me correctly, there's some people that's like, ah, that's not worth it. No one's going to do it. Uh, and boy, oh boy, uh, have they? We've, I, I think, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but let's just say that we bought uh, a lot of pizza, like. Parties, lunches, <laughs> supplied <laughs> simply from those shirts. Um, yeah, it's that's been pretty remarkable. That's in fact there was the uh, we just saw it. Allard pointed it out. There was like the Tetris like championship just recently, like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that final two people, and one of them was wearing a TKO shirt. Oh my god! The guy had lost though, unfortunately. Ah. But uh, Still. yeah, uh, but it's, it's just cool to see him out in the wild. You know, <laughs> I didn't realize either that the links last. Like, yeah, so you, they yeah. save in your gallery. Yeah, the galleries get saved uh, on on your phone. So yeah, you can always go back to them if you <laughs> really feel like you want that shirt. But most people end up buying them like super late, <laughs> perhaps after a few drinks. Not mm. sure. Yeah, yeah. I was looking pretty hard at a design of like Homer Simpson, and it says "Back off, I'm a scientist." Yeah. <laughs> Now we do. It is up to the actual uh, like company that prints the shirts. Uh, they it's up to their jurisdiction to be like, no, we can't print this, or as you can. So it's kind of like hands off for us. I'm like, okay, that's 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 your territory. But <laughs> but yeah, you sometimes get some of those like Homer Simpson drawings or or Sonic uh, characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Spencer, do you have a a personal favorite game? I genuinely do. Like a lot of our games, I'm happy to say that. But I guess uh, if I had to choose one, I might say Trivia Murder Party, um, just because that was a really fun one to work on. Because I not only wrote for it, but I uh, hosted it. Um, so yeah, that's you. That's me. That's me. Way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go. <laughs> hey, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the killing floor. Uh, yeah. So that was super fun because that was the first time like I got to like be a host in a game. I did a lot of, like, voice work for, like, You Don't Know Jack, a lot of commercial work. But, that, I don't know, that game that game is uh, pretty special to me because it's just, it was so fun to work on. And I think in some, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a, 
everything that we do well as a company kind of put into one game. It's a trivia-based game, but it's really all those mini games that help make it, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I, if I had to choose one, I'd say probably Trivia Murder Party. Now, you just got back from TwitchCon. I'm sure yeah. you go to uh, a bunch of events like this where you're showing off Jackbox. Do you have a personal favorite moment? Maybe an unexpected moment where you brought someone into the game and they, they kind of picked it up? Oh, at, like a moment at TwitchCon that was... At, at TwitchCon or just like with a family member, with a friend where it's like, oh, I don't really like video games. And then you're like... Yeah. I think... Well, so I've been to a bunch of... like So we go to TwitchCon every for the past three years and we go to PAX. And that's been like every PAX for like the last three years. And I would say not one particular favorite moment, but it's it's probably the times when people come up to us like at PAX or, or TwitchCon and, and just say like, oh my God, I love you guys. Uh, I play in my dorm. Like we play in our dorm like every Friday or hey, we play like, I stream your games every like three times a week. And I'll, it's the, fa- I think getting to see the face-to-face interaction with fans is definitely the highlight uh, because when you work like in an office like this and you kind of feel like you're in a bubble and like you see praise, you'll see praise and you'll see like criticisms online. Uh, but it's the actual like getting to see people that play our games that are outside of Chicago that know of us and love us. And it's just, that's, that's, that makes it, I mean, I'm a pretty cynical person, but, uh, it, I, I must say that it, it is, um, it's very nice to like have interactions with people at those events. That's great. That, that's, that's really nice to hear. Yeah. Uh, two final questions mm-hmm. for you. Uh, while looking up your information online, I encountered another Spencer Ham who Ooh. appears to be a in high school and a, <laughs> uh, outdoor lacrosse player. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've uh, I've noticed that one too. I'm trying to keep like getting my credits above him, but he seems to be a pretty good lacrosse player, so he keeps going up on the Google chart. Yeah. If you had any uh, just general advice for the other Spencer, uh, could you could you give him? Sure. For the other Spencer Ham, my advice would be, um, you're still in high school, right? So you probably have some nicknames. Uh, I would just say own your nickname. Uh, in middle school, I was called Spam a lot. Um, first two letters of my first uh, name, last two uh, letters of my last name form a Spam. And I decided I'm going to embrace the hell out of that. So I went to a, uh, I went to the mall. Uh, this was, this was back, uh, a little while ago. I went to the mall at Spencer's Gifts, fittingly enough, and I bought a spam shirt and I just owned that nickname and therefore I took all the power back from people and uh, suddenly being called spam was cool. So I'd say just, uh, it's a weird name, but embrace embrace whatever nickname you have. Um, that would be my advice. Wise words for the junior ham. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lastly, uh, I, I, you know, my bad. This is actually kind of a three-part question. Sure. Uh, so, I think most people have just some passing fluency with Pokemon. Either you played the games, you dabble with Pokemon Go. I've been asking this of all my guests. Uh, if there is one Pokemon that you could own as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you could eat. Uh, I am I'm going to fail miserably at this question, I'll tell you right now. Uh, because I don't, <laughs> I actually don't know the Pokemon universe at all. I think I was a little too old when it first came out. Like, I was still definitely in the age group where I had friends that were into it. But I I, I told myself, ah, Spencer, you're too cool for this. And then it just kind of carried throughout. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. I don't know 
really I, I would be I would be lying whatever I told you uh yeah I, I I'm not sure I'll just say um Pikachu <laughs> for, for all three uh what if we went with deep Digimon? cuts huh deep cuts <laughs> well yes deep cuts and, yeah. is, is, deep is that a character yeah. <laughs> okay uh, how about Digimon no <laughs> man no dude uh well, ask me which of my like, Darkwing Duck characters, then uh, then uh, then we're talking. Um, no, uh, no, I, 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 I'm I'm sad to say I work in the gaming industry and I don't know Pokemon. Okay, uh, so I would probably want to be Darkwing. I mean, he's the hero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd want to own Megabolt as a pet. Yeah, electricity. Yeah, and uh, who? I don't know if I I couldn't really ethically consume any character on Darkwing Duck. Yeah, could, could you? I don't think I could. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe DW. No, uh, <laughs> but what, what? Knowing just like you've talked to me for like twenty minutes, what? What, what would you say just based on impressions? Uh, which characters? So I can look them up, and so I get an idea of what. Um, you know, what impression I give. For a uh, Pokemon that you would own as uh-huh. a pet, I, I'm, I'm thinking of something that's uh, fun and, and outgoing. I'm thinking of a Doduo. How do you spell that? D-O-D-U-O. Okay. Let me look at this guy. Oh, okay. A bird, uh, bird with two heads. Okay. And, right. then, and then to to be, I think you uh, you're, you're quick, you're quick uh, and that might not necessarily translate to a Pokemon in terms of like wits that a Pokemon could have. But okay, if we're talking about just like fast Pokemon. Uh, Suicune is really hard to capture in the games. It's a legendary Pokemon, but I could. Well, you would be hard to catch. Oh, oh okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Hey, that's flattering. Thank you. No, no problem. No problem. <laughs> you're uh, you're. A uh, very in competitive Pokemon, you'd be a very high tier of uh, Pokemon to use. Cool. And lastly, to eat. Yeah. Hmm, I, I think you would try something a little bit out there. Uh, if if you, we wanted to go to a restaurant and try a new dish that uh, it's like, hey, this is from the Alola region, uh, uh-huh. this be cool. Uh, you would try Executor. Executor. How do you spell that? E X E X E G G U T O R. Okay. Exeggutor. Whoa! So it's kind of like a root-based uh, Pokemon? Like yeah. It kind of looks like a like a like ginger meets a pineapple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. I love both those things, so I could see myself eating that. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, good choices. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for choosing the Pokemon for me. And now I have to, like, really brush up on them. I mean, you never know when I'll come back around or when someone else might ask you, hey, uh, you know, I was thinking about Pokemon and, like, what Pokemon I would have as a pet. And, <laughs> yeah, definitely. If not for yourself, for everyone you love. Yes, yes. I have a lot of work ahead of me, but, yeah, I will do it. <laughs> you don't want to know how many there are. There. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there can't be more than, like, 20, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Tops out there. Cool, cool. Uh, so, Spencer, if you want people to find you... Uh, where would you like them to find you? Sure. Uh, follow me on Twitter before it just completely explodes. Um, you can follow me at Spencer Ham. It's my name. Um, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. I post a lot, so just do that. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you.
And we're back. And a uh, big thanks one more time to Spencer for taking the time to talk to me about Jackbox and the company and his role there as well. Uh, Jackbox Party Pack 5. In the time since that was recorded, I got a chance to play it. And I think, you know, uh, understanding that I just spoke to someone at Jackbox and I enjoyed the conversation, I think this is maybe my favorite Jackbox yet with the games on there. Oh, yeah, really? I, I mean, it's, it doesn't have um, the uh, quiplash. But I, I think they made some smart decisions to update You Don't Know Jack and the wrapping minigame. Uh, just, it's been a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. So I talked a little bit about what I've been playing, I guess, because I've been playing Jackbox. Hey, Brandon, what you playing? What am I playing? Well, Bill, I'm glad you asked. Um, well, although I haven't been taking on really any new games, um, I have been diving back and exploring additional content on games I've already been actively playing. Uh, probably the first, the most recent uh, game uh, I've been diving into uh, has been Spider-Man for the PS4. Um, so DLC has been released uh, each month since the game has launched. So um, I, I bought the season pass, which is called The City Never Sleeps, or City Never Sleeps. Um, and uh, it's it's been released in chapters um, each month. So in October, we got, um, it's called The Heist, which uh, focused a lot on Spider-Man's relationship with Black Cat. And you kind of team up and work together to investigate um, this mob uh, war that's going on. Uh, And then uh, chapter two of it kind of continues that story as you kind of take on Hammerhead, a Spidey villain um, who uh, is uh, kind of heading this mob war, uh, this gang war um, that you are uh, trying to defuse along with um, Yuri, which is the the uh, police officer uh, that you've been working with, or the police captain you've been working with um, in the main game. So uh, I've been really liking this approach to the DLC. Uh, each chapter isn't too long, um, so you're not getting a ton of content uh, with the, the different DLC that's that's opening up, but each one comes with new like crimes that open up in different areas around New York that you have to stop, uh, new challenges, um, new new suits, and uh, some fun uh, storylines uh, that we're kind of following as well. So I really, really loved the main game and have uh, very much enjoyed diving back in uh, to the, the that world uh, with a new story. I was wondering if it would be easy to come back to the game. I haven't touched it yet, but I, you know, I assume there's like the main story and this is meant to fall within the story. So I was wondering if there'd be any uh, difficulty coming back to the game like that. So it's interesting. Uh, when you, when you load in um, the DLC, it doesn't load into the main uh, story. So you can't just like do the DLC whenever um, you have to like, there is a tab when you go back into your main game that's listed as DLC and you have to go into that. Uh, so you have to go into the heist or go into turf wars, which is chapter two. Um, and the game kind of changes on what's available based on that. 
so uh, it, it's a fun, um, certainly a separate thing. New trophies open up, but it is very easy to kind of dive back into that world because you have all your gadgets and whatnot. Um, and it provides a nice challenge without being too uh, alarmingly difficult. Have you touched anything else lately? Um, so, uh, as always, I like to give an Overwatch update. You know me. Um, so, Overwatch has released another new hero called Ash. She is a, um, like a, a thief. She's, she's uh, the head of a gang. Um, I forget what the gang's called. Uh, but they're, they're, they butt heads with the McCree character a lot. Um, so, uh, she is a attack character um she's a sniper uh so uh, she's very um if you are comfortable with hanzo or widowmaker then you're probably gonna feel right at home with ash although i find her a little more uh user friendly um and i find her a little more vital than the other two characters uh i i don't think people will pick her over Widowmaker, um, in in the, you know, in general, but I prefer her. I think um, she's got this great like dynamite attack where she can throw out uh, this uh, pack of dynamite that explodes and causes a burning effect, which is the first time the game has kind of utilized that sort of damage. Uh, so an effect that that damages you over time. So that's it's a really powerful move that I think uh, comes in handy a lot. And she also has this shotgun, which she uses to just kind of like put some distance between her and uh, the other players. Uh, So she can fire it, you know, at the ground to kind of launch herself into the air to get to some higher spots. Or she can shoot it at an opponent to do some damage and, again, gain some distance away from them. So I think she's a fun character. I find her more useful than some of the other heroes that have been added recently. Like, I'll probably use her before I use uh, Wrecking Ball or even Doomfist. Um, But, no, she's great. Her ultimate is called Bob, uh, which is very fun. It's this giant robot butler that she has. Uh, She calls him in, and he kind of charges at the nearest opponent, knocks into them, and then he'll stay in there and kind of fire his little arm cannon at everyone uh, in the general vicinity. Uh, he is very fun, and you, and like players can choose to take him down or just wait for him to finish up his ult time. Uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a fun uh, addition. Awesome. Yeah, I, I watched the, uh, the new animated short with mccree ash and bob and that that was pretty great seeing them all working against each other yeah i think it's one of the better um animated shorts i mean i like i think all the animated shorts are really well produced but um this one has a lot of a lot to it and uh, the animation looks really great there's a lot of great humor in it um so yeah no i uh i really enjoyed it great yeah we we can always count on you for overwatch updates so spider-man and overwatch uh, anything else going on? Um, the only thing that I was obsessed with for like uh, two weeks, and I've already gotten rid of it, but I had Animal Crossing Pocket Camp downloaded on my iPhone, um, and I was pretty into it, but one day I just decided to delete it. But it's just like a miniature what? version. I know. <laughs> 
It was just like a miniature version of Animal Crossing um, in your pocket. And you build a camp and invite animals to your camp. Um, and I was enjoying getting different animals there and whatnot. But uh, it's a very relaxing, you know, you get into a rhythm with it that I really enjoy uh, on a daily basis. Uh, but yeah, no, it was fun. I think I, I think I'm gonna, I got rid of it because I was like, this just makes me want to play a full fledged, um, Animal Crossing game, uh, as opposed to my mobile version. So I thought about getting New Leaf on the 3DS or waiting, uh, for the 2019 Animal Crossing we're probably going to get on the Switch. Yeah, you know, I actually tried Animal Crossing New Leaf for a couple hours, like, a like a month or so ago, and I just, I just couldn't get into it. It felt too slow. Yeah, it's, uh... That's interesting. I, I feel like, you know, it's, it, it is something where you're not, um, there is no real sense of urgency, right? In the animal crossing world, you just kind of do things at your own pace. And, uh, there is kind of a, a repetition to it. That is very, I, I imagine soothing for a lot of players. Um, so I'd be interested in a Nintendo switch version of that. Hey, Bill, what, what have you been playing? Well, uh, you know, I keep, poking away at uh yeast eight that's been the game i've been playing on uh train rides and like i was traveling for the grand prix so i was playing that a little bit when i took i took the amtrak from chicago to milwaukee but uh other than that i'm gonna wait to talk too much more about that game until i'm just like done at this point uh otherwise i've played warioware gold for the 3ds Oh, how's that? I've been interested. I haven't played any of the WarioWare games, but I've always been interested in it. Um, and I, I just have yet to pick up one. Is that fun? It is fun. And I think this will be for you if you haven't played any of the other WarioWares because it's collecting a lot of games from the previous entries in the series in order to like kind of update them and modernize them all under one umbrella. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. The only thing I would hold against it is it's a little bit short. At least, like, the single-player story only takes about two hours to finish. There's other stuff you can do in the game. There are challenges. There are unlockables. But I don't know how much longer that game will hold your attention beyond that initial story. And then I also picked up, I was actually playing this during one of the... uh, extra live streams i was playing slay the spire again for the first time in a while because they added a third character to the game that gives you like a different strategy so up until now you've had the the ironclad which is a warrior class and the idea is you are using all your cards to try and make one big attack slay the spire by the way it's kind of a deck building game but it's also sort of an rpg so you're working through a dungeon and building up a deck of cards like you might normally build up a a uh, set of armor or weapons or spells and the silent which is a rogue kind of class is all about kind of comboing a bunch of cards playing a bunch of cards in one turn and then this class uh, which actually i forget the the name of it now but it's like you're kind of like a, a robot it looks like and you have these orbs you have three orbs that you can carry at once and it's all about putting different orbs and your different orb slots and you can either use the orbs like you can the orbs will either passively 
do something every turn. Or you can kind of shoot the orbs at the enemy for to get like one big attack that way. Like the the lightning orb will do four damage every turn passively. Or you can chuck it at the enemy to deal eight damage, for example. And there are a bunch of different kinds of orbs you can combine. And there's different synergies for having multiple kinds of orbs or just having one kind of orb. It's interesting. I only got to do one run because a run can take like an hour and a half but i'm definitely waiting now for slay the spire to come out on the nintendo switch because it is coming out on the switch at some point in the future and i'm planning to play slay the spire a lot more once it's on that platform and lastly uh, this actually was just like last night prior to this recording i got a chance to try the tetris effect which i enjoyed quite a bit Oh, okay. I've not heard of that. The, what makes the Tetris effect unique is that it's trying to kind of borrow the the way that Luminous is uh, built. Now, Luminous is a different kind of puzzle game, but what Luminous does is you have all these different uh, music tracks and skins for or graphics for the level, and they're constantly changing and like kind of drifting between one and the other, and anytime you're throwing a block down or turning a block or making a line disappear, it's having uh, a sound effect happen in the game. And it's like you're almost creating music with the way that you are going through the puzzle. I like the sound of that. Yeah, I mean, I I was really enjoying it. Like I was doing one level where every sound was like kind of an acapella, like ah or oh. And like when you started going really fast and piling up the pieces and getting more lines it would the music would swell and it would add more backing tracks around you and it really would feel like you are you are making a song while you are playing the game which is pretty awesome that sounds great what system this is on ps4 and it's only uh 40 bucks too so it's not like a full priced game okay and does it do you feel like you get a lot of content out of? i don't know yet uh i've only played it for about an hour but i I feel like there is a decent amount left to explore. I'm also excited to try it with a uh, with a VR headset because I actually I just, I've put in the order. I haven't tried it yet for a PSVR. Got to get those VR headsets. So this seems like it would be awesome to play with VR, like this complete surround, like environmentally surrounding experience to get like the full value of the the graphics and the audio. I'm very excited to try that. Yeah, I know that the VR uh, systems are on sale for Black Friday. Um, makes me makes me want to get one. There are not a ton of cool VR games, but I think there are enough now that it felt like it was the, the right time to purchase, to try like Tetris, to try Resident Evil 7 in VR. And then there are a few other games I'm looking forward to trying later on down the line. Yeah, no, I uh, I feel like there's enough of a library now that it warrants checking out maybe in the meantime those have been the games that i have played so i think this brings uh the current episode of so many bits to a close Brandon, thank you so much for coming on uh, if you want people to find you uh where can they find you uh they can find me on twitter at b double e shock all right excellent and as for us we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. 
Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central. Wednesdays usually for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of games. Recently, I we did a long playthrough of Undertale and Deltarune. Now I'm kind of balancing between a few different titles, and maybe we'll pick up another like playthrough next year. In the meantime, though, thank you very much for stopping by and listening. Thanks again to Spencer, and have a great summer. 